Hey, welcome to the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. And it is good to be back with our listeners again, both of you. Um, hopefully, uh, everyone's doing well out there. And uh, we've got some more fun things to talk about this week. So uh, what's starting with some uh, news, any, anything new we need to be aware of, Rick, or that our listeners ought to be aware of? Um, just a little thing. Um, you know, we like to cover announcements. And Leica came out with an M11 monochrome camera. You know, it's one that just takes images in black and white. And um, it's, it's an interesting concept. They've been doing it for a while now, you know, having a monochrome version of one of their regular cameras. I think you and I kind of feel similarly about this. Um, those aren't all that attractive to us. You know, the, a lot of people would like to see that replicated. So this is a dedicated black and brands. white camera. Yes. That's Which at I one point do. there was a lot of buzz about, wouldn't that be cool? Like I could just shoot it and it would be somewhat better quality. Right. And it can be, you know, you, you can get higher resolution, lower noise, a little bit more dynamic range in some cases. The, the problem, and, and this is where I get into the, to the downsides of a camera like that. Cause I love black and white photography and I know you do too, mm -hmm. but for one, that's all it does. So if you want to do color, also you're forced to take a second camera. But the big thing for me is it's just so easy and post-processing to take a regular camera's image that's color, turn it in black and white. And most importantly, use all the color filters that you could, that you, traditionally had to put on the front of the lens, you know, a red filter to make the skies darker and stormier looking, or you can change the skin tones with other filters and lighten them or darken them, whatever. But it's just so much easier than in post-processing than removing and replacing and switching out um, filters on the camera lens. And, you know, and I think a lot that. of people I just don't want agree. to go back to it. Yeah. I, I think people, in, in fact, uh, you know, it was a long time ago. This probably was in like 2005 or six. And one mm -hmm. of the friends of our podcast, one of the people we've interviewed in the past, um, Vincent Versace, who's loved mm -hmm. black and white photography. Mm -hmm. He actually wrote a book and it was called from Kansas to Oz <laughs> with the mm -hmm. idea of you're scoring from color. If you're familiar with the wizard of Oz, <laughs> which was the other way around, right? Going right. from black and white to color, but, Kansas to Oz is going from color to black and white. And I think, I think the argument there is color data in your file gives you far more information to work with in post because you can make selections with better fidelity because you yeah. have the color information. You can do the traditional filter looks like you were talking about. Okay, I want to darken a blue sky. But guess what? You can do it selectively so you don't have to select... Uh, you know, all of the blues or all of the oranges in a certain scene, like you would get with the traditional color filter. So I think there's just more processing leeway. Now there are people out there and you can make this argument that really don't want to process. I think there's a fair number of people who just either don't want to, or maybe get intimidated by it. And it becomes a hurdle to their photography. So in this case, you know, we talked about with our infrared stuff, you know, if you mm -hmm. really want it simple, just get a, a very high infrared filter and everything is monochrome and you are done. So 
I think that would be one way to look at it. Of course, a a Leica. What's the price of this Leica camera? Because I can't probably about, probably about nine thousand US. Yeah, I mean, so that's an awfully large investment for something yeah. that is a one-trick pony. So um, anyway, but I, I I do I certainly sympathize with the people who can be intimidated by post processing, and you want things to come out of the camera more or less done. I don't know if a nine thousand dollar camera is the best way to do it, though. Yeah, it's. I am sure it's good, and I'm sure that some people will have a lot of fun with it. And I wouldn't want my comments to spoil that. But at least for me, I'll stick with the color ones and converting it just because of that flexibility that you were talking about. Not to mention, can be considerably cheaper prices too. But right. And a, a lot of times for us, we don't necessarily know which shots are going to work for black and white and which ones might work better for color. So knowing that you're capturing in color, you can always convert to black and white. For me, at least, is the way I like to roll. It's nice to have that flexibility. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, what else is going on? Well, you're heading to Panama shortly. Yes, I am. Um, in fact... And I know we've been talking about famous photographers, so I, I think we'll do another one of those. Maybe lesser known, I think, in this case. A little bit, yeah. All right, we'll save the photography bio for the for the end but i am taking my group of clients down to panama city panama uh, this weekend in fact by the time mm -hmm. you hear this i'll probably be down there um and um so right now i'm just in the process of packing up all my stuff for the for to fly down there um and we'll be gone a week so we won't have a podcast next week i think trying to do that remotely from a place with no internet is kind of hard <laughs> um uh, so um but uh, it's an exciting place. I, you know, we've talked about it before. You came with me the last time I did a safari yeah. down there, and it's was uh, fun. a lot of meaning to you because you used to live there when you were a kid. So that yeah. was kind of kind of neat. Um, I think I think Panama is one of those underrated places for wildlife uh, photography. It doesn't get all the all the all the hype that a place like Costa Rica would get. And Costa Rica, of course, is awesome and it's going to have a lot of has even more diversity and some you know different things you can go to like cloud forests and stuff. But in terms of solid locations where you can go, um, this is quite a nice nice place to visit. It's very we'll be on a private eco lodge on an island that abuts mm -hmm. a nature preserve, a wildlife rainforest preserve. You can't get much nicer than that in terms of you know. Um, uh, well, it's literally on an island in the Caribbean. Well, you're you're just safe Isn't there, that? right? I mean, there's no there's <laughs> there's really very little danger to you when you're there um, that wouldn't be self inflicted. So you don't have to worry about you know uh, you know protecting your gear from theft or any of that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So you know there's it's it's comforting knowing that, and of course it's also an all inclusive place, so they feed you too, so that doesn't hurt. You don't have to worry about where to eat or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I saw. Um, I saw you know the stars of the show down there, and there's many of them. But one of the big ones, of course, is the two and three toed sloths, which are just all over the place. They're crawling everywhere. And uh, I've said this before; I'll say it again. Most of the time, a lot of places where you go to see a sloth, you know, just depending on where you might be, um, they're either rare to see, or then they're very rare to see anything other than balled up you know, hunkered down in the top of a tree backlit mm -hmm. makes for a terrible photograph. Right. 
you don't see their face. It's just, there's the sloth way up there. We were within like 10 to 12 feet of some of the sloths on oh, this yeah. island. And a big part of that is because the sloths on this island don't have the eagles as predators, the harpy eagles, amongst mm -hmm. other things. So they are much more active during that, and surprisingly so. I mean, walking around, you might see them. Mm -hmm. We saw them with babies, um, and they're just out in the open doing their thing, munching on leaves. And we got some really great photos of sloths that weren't just a ball of fur. <laughs> so right. I'm very optimistic about going. It, very, There are very few guarantees in wildlife photography, but... I'm pretty sure we're going to get some sloth photos along with yeah. the colorful tropical birds, hummingbirds, lizards, all that kind of parrots. I'll, I'll just say the other thing I thought that was cool down there, and I've been able to do something similar to it other places, and it seemed to always work well for kind of obvious reasons that we'll get into. But the other thing is there's that old canal that was cut for a banana plantation. It's oh, not right. The Panama Canal. This no, is no, a no. little one. Yeah, there's a little one. We like think about 40 feet across, maybe. Exactly. And that's the important thing is you've got that water feature that attracts wildlife into it. And it's so narrow that you're actually pretty close to subjects on on both sides of the canal. And it's just super easy, comfortable um, photography. And we saw all sorts of um, interesting animals and, and birds. It was great. Yeah including species I had not seen before. So that's always kind of cool when you get to go to a tropical place. But um, it's, it's just so cool just being able to sit in your boat and pan left or right and got a different subject. Yeah. And it's just open, small boat, um, mm -hmm. you know, bimini top kind of thing. So it works out really. And one of the really great things too, is that we've got, because we're going to this eco lodge, they have some wonderful naturalist guides who will always be eyes and ears, including the staff, because the staff know where the sloths are and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So they have radios and they'll be like, hey, there's a sloth down by Cabana 5. Go down there. And so we go down there and you find it, which is makes life really nice. So you don't have to come across these things on your own. Um, you know, if you want to go look for poison dart frogs, they have them there and you can go say, I want to go find this. And they'll take you there and say, okay, here, here we go. So looking Pretty forward cool. to it. And, um, Gear wise, I've been packing my bag. I'm trying to, I'll say, go light, which is relative, <laughs> and in terms of the the number of things, um, I mean, I'm definitely bringing my Z9, and then I'm bringing just two lenses to go with it, my 100 to 400 uh, zoom along with the 1.4 teleconverter, mm -hmm. and then I've got the um, 28 to 75 as just an all-purpose kind of mid-range zoom for taking pictures of things. But one of the things I am going to do, is, which is a first for me this time, is I'm using my Z6, which was converted to full spectrum, you know, so visible and infrared. I'm going to bring it along with my, my um, infrared clip-in filters. And that gives me, A, a backup camera for visible light, as, you know, in small body. And then mm -hmm. B, I have an infrared option if I want to do some infrared photography. So I chose the 28 to 75 because it works well for both. It, it works um, mm -hmm. in infrared. So that's what I'm bringing. Oh, and I'm also bringing like an extension tube. So if there's any close-ups and a small flash unit for, for maybe some insect photography. It just depends on what we run into. No, it should be fun. But that's and a I fairly small you can small do kit. some infrared stuff 
in the city too. Yeah. I mean, and that's something that, uh, you know, never occurred to me. Um, bringing an extra body for the sake of infrared, I wouldn't normally do on a trip like this, but knowing I could use it as a backup, that's a fair point. You know, if something happened to the main camera, I could just put the hot mirror filter in, use it as a backup and I'm, I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. Um, I am looking forward to having a couple of days in Panama city on the front end. We're going to take the clients on a boat tour goes out onto the, what's called Gatun Lake. It's the large, Mm -hmm. um, man-made it was uh, created as part it's it's the main center of the panama canal basically it's this huge lake that was created when they when they uh dammed up um some of the r- rivers um and so uh it flooded and created this lake and we're going to go to a sloth sanctuary and uh that should be kind of cool so i'm looking forward to that as well yeah but in general i was able to get all this gear into my little mind shift 18l uh, backpack so it's yeah. not a very large backpack um and that's good when you're going on small planes and things like that being able to fit all your stuff in a small bag yeah i think both of us have really tried to scale back on how many things we take with us yeah because it's and not just the weight. a pretty good job yeah it's not just the weight i mean that's a, that's a consideration but the more things you have it just becomes it, it just weighs you down you, it, and then you don't want to shoot so much yep so We've in fact about it before but it's it's a very real thing in my opinion I won't be shooting with any kind of monopods or anything at this place. I'm just going to shoot handheld. I've concluded that that with the current stabilization systems and high ISOs go for it. So when we were down there, I pulled out my monopod the first day, used it for 15 minutes, put it away, never got it out again. Exactly. So why even add it to your luggage at this point? So exactly. All right, cool. Yep. You'll have fun. Oh, I'm, pretty much i'm envious i would be happy to go back there again well i know where did i know a guy (laughs) so (laughs) we are going to talk about today a photographer that you may or may not have heard about because she was an early photographer we're talking Mm -hmm. 18 um oh middle 1800s middle 1800s so we're talking about a time when photography was almost more alchemy than, than, you know, anything. And, uh, high ISOs were, uh, not possible. We'll talk about that too. And this photographer who you may or may not have heard about is Julia Margaret Cameron. Um, and, uh, she's British, but born in India in 1815. And, uh, and lived to 1879. So we're talking about really early photography. Because mind you, photography as a thing, as a as a as a process, as a you know, te- as a technology, didn't really come around until about the 1840s, if I'm if I'm correct, roughly speaking, you know, in terms of practical implementations of it. So we're talking very early on. Um and it's an interesting story. I won't go into a little bit of her background. Um, she was, it was December of 1863 and she had six children. So, so mind you, 18, she, she's in her fifties at this point or almost 50. And her kids are basically all grown. And uh, she's, you know, coming from a well-to-do family in colonial British times, you know, uh, she got a camera. Some interesting people. 
Yeah, she knew a lot of. She had some connections. Yeah, and she gets when a camera it, now. Can you imagine in 1863 getting a camera? What it was. One of the been. things I thought was interesting is, do you remember reading who encouraged her to get into photography? Um, well, I mean, it was John Herschel, who was the son of William Herschel, right? The who discovered the planet Uranus, and he was a he was a very prominent astronomer and mathematician. Mm-hmm. But he said, "Hey, look at all this stuff going on." You might want to try this. But she was also hanging out with Charles Darwin. Well, he he was her neighbor. Yeah. Well, well, Tennyson was at one point, I know, too. Well, Tennyson was her neighbor. I don't think Darwin was. But John Herschel, Darwin, Alfred Lord Tennyson, Robert (laughs) Browning. I mean, all of these people at this time. were, And and so she was in these social circles that included this, you know, um, these sort of... uh, creative literary and scientific intellectuals yeah this these intellectuals so she gets this camera and her husband was off in ceylon at the time you know minding the family's coffee plantation (laughs) right so so here's this box and um you know i'm just reading from some of these um articles from the metropolitan museum of art but she was quoted as saying i began with no knowledge of the art i did not know where to place my dark box how to focus my sitter in my first picture I have faced my consternation by rubbing my hand over the filmy side of the glass. Meaning, so she had to make glass plates. You know, you had to actually dip mm-hmm. them in the emulsion and you yeah. know coat them with the gelatin and the the silver uh, halide. Right? I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is not. I got a Kodak brownie. <laughs> you know, no, this is a fair amount of work. There's some and chemistry expertise. involved. Yeah, isn't that just? It, it's absolutely crazy. Um. So then. You know, there's there's all kinds of other things, but you know, she started basically getting into portraits as a that was her main subject was portraiture, mm-hmm. and so you know, and while she wasn't really trying to do this commercially, but she started doing this, and and she was very religious, and and so so the style of these portraits is kind of interesting, right? Yeah, and and there's some parallels with uh, painting around that time or in the preceding years as well. A lot of religious themes, mm-hmm. for example, a lot of allegorical kind of photos. Yeah. So she was taking pictures and oftentimes she would like dress them up to reenact like scenes, either like biblical or like mythology, Shakespeare. A lot of times her husband little was one of the, cherubs. The, the models. Yeah, she put little wings on the back of, you know, there was no Photoshop at this point. <laughs> um, so you'd had to have props to do this. Um, but one of the, com- so commentary wise, she got a lot of flack for having photos that were, quote, too soft, right? Yeah, <laughs> they were nodding they were just, your head. It's like, I this, is, this is a, thing that exists today where some people just live to criticize others but um my take on that is she was doing some things that were a little bit different she got in a bit closer to her subjects and you know one of the things that she's credited with is really um opening up portraits taking at a taken at a closer distance which was kind of hard to do then for the reasons that we were just talking about the exposures were very long. They could be a minute long. And during that time or more, and and during that time, your subjects had to stay perfectly still. So smiling 
or you know any kind of of pose that included action forget it you know they mm-hmm. used to have these prop things that you know photographers would use to have their subjects lean up against to keep their heads in the same spot you know like a metal bracket or a wooden bracket yeah. or something like that well and it, it's kind of weird because uh, not not that that's that's true i mean you can imagine mm-hmm. having to hold still for even a 10 second exposure would be kind of painful for a lot of people right. um but you got to imagine she gets this camera in 1863 and by 18 at the end of 1863 so basically 1864 and then 1865 she she um had photos being reviewed by the um in the annual ex- exhibition of the photographic society of Scotland in 1865, she's sending things. Now she had an advantage. I mean, she was, she had sort of celebrity subject, which never hurts. Okay. Mm-hmm. And photography was incredibly new at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there just weren't a lot of photographs of anything, no. especially of, of, of people. But uh, I want, I want to read a quote that was the, uh, it was a quote, partial quote from the, from the review from the annual exhibition um the photographic journal reviewed her and they said quote miss cameron exhibits her series of out of focus portraits of celebrities we must give this lady credit for daring originality but the expense of all other photographic qualities now that's awfully condescending and that i mean and and i think i wonder how much of her being female had to do with this I'm sure it was, you know, I mean, it's like, well, nice try little lady, but you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, and that's just, there's no way this would go over today. And yet doesn't mean it wouldn't happen. Yeah, well, that's true. (laughs) But, but I mean, so, um, you know, I mean, you're talking about somebody who is, you know, doing a lot of stuff and you look at these, these photographs and they're, that we'll put some links on online, of course, um, on the show page. But I mean, there was a lot of mixed reviews. Other reviews were like, wow, this is really kind of art, art like. Cause like you mentioned, she was doing things that mimicked what painters were doing at that time, only using a different medium. And I think, I think it's, it's tough for people to know what, when there is a new technology, I mean, photography had been around for a little bit at this point, but it's still really in its infancy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking, you know, what it would have been like but but ISO even then there are <laughs> always going to be people that decide that they've got a beat on how things should be done and it should only be done that way and if right someone you, doesn't adhere to that they should be criticized i, I wonder what we would, don't do that too often i wonder I'm what sure we do it a little had she posted her images in a in a photography forum or something like that you know today oh, like uh, oh, you know it would be here. hilarious but but this idea of sitting for a portrait can we just explore that a little bit? Because imagine having to sit and the, and especially if you're in a studio, because you're not, now you're not outdoors, right? You're in a studio. And I can only imagine they didn't have, I'm thinking they probably didn't really have flash. So we didn't have any artificial light sources t- typically at this point, not anything good. Uh, I don't know when bright. flash powder showed up, but even that, you know, was risky it had a lot of issues to say the least <laughs> yeah, like setting your room on fire you know <laughs> the backdrops but alfred lord tennyson referred to her models as quote victims <laughs> this is a funny <laughs> thing you know? um and one of them and i have to read this one of one of them 
left a you know wrote down a description of being of their session when she was photographed by um by uh, julia margaret cameron and i'm going to read this quote because it's just too it's too good it's just too painful um so i'll quote here it says the studio i remember was very untidy and very uncomfortable so british here you know uh miss cameron put a crown on my head and posed me as the heroic queen the exposure began a minute went over and I felt as if I must scream. Another minute and the sensation was as if my eyes were coming out the out of my head. A third and the back of my neck appeared to be afflicted with palsy. A fourth and the crown, which was too large, began to slip down my forehead. And they go on like this until they all broke out laughing um, because it was just so hard to keep a straight face in these, in these poses. So I think when you look at her photos, I think a lot of what you have to keep in mind is imagine what that person in this photo is going through to, to stay even the slightest bit still for what could have been a multiple minute exposure and maybe five minutes could have been exaggerating it, but who knows? It could have been, could have been pretty dark. You never know. Yeah. What's, what's funny is if you, um, I like her photos. Um, if you're very classic portrait them, style, there is almost always someone that appears to be slightly asleep. I think if I were having my portrait done by her, I would want to be the person who was designated to appear mm -hmm. to be asleep. Yeah. I mean, she, she has a style that looks very much like Renaissance paintings, which is kind mm -hmm. of, kind of where it came from. But I mean, she's got photos of some of the, you know, and they're good photos because they're different poses. It's not the person just looking at the, you know, smile for the camera. They're in some cases not even making eye contact with with the camera. They're looking away, which you, how you might be when you're sitting for a portrait. You know, these those serious, you know, late 17th uh, or you know, 18th, early 19th century kind of portraits. But there's Darwin. There's we mentioned Tennyson, but Henry. Longfellow, right? She's got these photos of all of these, uh, you know, contemporary intellectuals, and it's it's pretty cool to see them at that at that point because you know there just weren't any photographs. Yeah. Now you had a, a comment thing. about her or about women and yeah, they be yeah. Apparently, the, the the idea of her photographing Darwin's wife came up, and she refused to do it, saying that women between the ages of 18 and 70 should not be photographed right so it gives <laughs> like, you a small okay. window there yeah, a little bit different but that was just kind of funny yeah it's i think it's good because i think we get um i think it's good to go back and and look at the style of these early photographers because really all they had to draw on at that point was classical paintings and portrait settings mm-hmm which are good usually. I mean, there, there's a reason mm -hmm. why they were appealing, right? And, and I think we forget about those kinds of poses. Um, and, and so like what I'm getting is, you know, portraits of people where they're not looking at the camera. And, it, you know, what is the take-home thing? You know, what is the one thing that you want to grasp? You know, we, we talked about, um, you know, as we talk about different photographers, what would you take home from that, you know? And, and what I'm getting is think about more classical portrait styles because they never really go away. You know, they, they can be powerful at times. 
and it's something I don't think about because I don't do a tremendous number of, of uh, portraits. Mm-hmm. So at least for me, that's a the cool thing. Now am I gonna stick you know swan wings on someone and you know make allegorical themes? I probably not, but that's a cool thing people have done. The um, one of the things I think about with her is she's one of the people that helped evolve photography mm-hmm. because what it was was kind of an uncertain thing in the early days you know it's not painting but it seems to tread a little bit on paintings territory but it, it had to be shaped and grown and matured and she definitely contributed to that you know with a different style and although the the style is different than you see in a lot of modern portraits you can help you can see how it was on that progression mm-hmm. you know it, they're not the exceedingly um formal and rigid poses she worked with what she had which was awkward but she made them slightly more casual and slightly more candid looking even though they really weren't does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, there's the formal ones, but there's also the the more whimsical ones, and but more it's just moody. yeah, there's very a lot of moodiness, and it, it's just kind of it, it's interesting, and it's people trying to experiment with the medium itself and just figure out what the direction is of this of this technology. Yeah. I think that's it, and I think she did a nice job with. It. I mean, because the lighting is very nice, lots of shadow. You know, not afraid to show wrinkles and and have people mm-hmm. in shadows and you know i'm i'm you know i don't know what kind of um you know if any light modifiers <laughs> that they were using back then but you know to open get a that door also, yeah open, open the window them. right i mean so seriously it's, uh it's very interesting so if you're not familiar with julie margaret cameron we invite you to take a look at her her works and we'll put a um, a link on our Facebook page as well as the show notes page on on the website luminescentphoto.com for for this episode. Uh, anything else you would like to add, Rick? No, no, I think that's good. All right. Well, as a reminder, we'll be off next week um, and and I'll be back in a after I get back from Panama, we'll have another playing with the sloths. Something like that. I hope so. That would be kind of fun. <laughs> so anyway well uh thanks again for listening and um, we appreciate all your feedback so um until next time happy shooting all right bye-bye